<laughs> so Stephen Post here today. Stephen researches generosity, uh, love, and tell us a little bit about uh, what your research has shown so far. What What is generosity? When people find that the happiness and security being of others is as real to them as their own, they tend to flourish and mm. be happier as well as healthier over the course of a lifetime. So it is like a protective halo. With this uh, generosity. Now, how? tell me your story. How did you get interested in generosity? How did this uh, line of work that you're in come to be? Well, it's been an interest for me since even my high school days up in New Hampshire. And in one form or another, I've been studying generosity and helping activities and volunteerism and spirituality and such things uh, from very, very early on uh, and and uh, have held positions at the University of Chicago and in Ann Arbor and Case Western Medical School and now at Stony Brook School of Medicine uh, in preventive medicine. Wow. I'm not an MD, but uh, I look at the ways in which these kinds of behaviors uh, prevent uh, illness and enhance health and flourishing. Fascinating. Um, I'm I'm hearing a beeping on my end. Are you are you hearing a beeping too, Stephen? A little bit, but it's not from. It's not. It's not that bad there. Okay. All right. Um, with uh, sort of this this background and teaching for many years, uh, this this fascinates me in terms of seeing the onset of research about well-being and uh, this it sounds like your own personal interest has gone back since before the advent of this field that's now known as positive psychology so what was it like to to be in this field and see the popular interest in research on well-being and human flourishing grow what is what's that been to be a oh absolutely you know these ideas uh gratitude meaning purpose um, resilience, love, and all, these have their roots in the humanistic psychology of the 1960s. Mm. Uh, and uh, they're very powerful uh, psychological uh, statements about their importance. Uh, uh, you know, Harry Harlow, in 1951, was the president of the American Psychological Association, and he gave his very daring presidential speech with a on the nature of love. Mm. So uh, this has been around for a while, but uh, in its current form, uh, it's really attributed to uh, the work of Ben uh, and uh, Marty Seligman uh, and other uh, remarkable people. Uh, Marty Seligman is based at the University of Pennsylvania, of course, and he has the uh, Center for Positive Energy. Although it's got to be said that uh, yeah, I remember when, mm. as a as a as an advisor to the Templeton Foundation, uh, we first invited Marty to uh, to a meeting in Philadelphia about fifteen or twenty years ago, and uh, that was really the the beginning of uh, our relationship. But it's nice to see it come along, and it and 
and uh, and I think it's uh, it's having an impact. Fascinating. Uh, when it comes to human flourishing uh, at at the level of having an impact by the actions that one takes, what are what are some of the big the big pieces that individuals can learn how to do? Uh, what are what are the skills for that piece that is uh, learnable? Uh, what are the big What's the big, what are the big contours of that area of, of human flourishing like, in, in your opinion? Well, you know, it's probably true that a certain amount of our capacity for generosity, for gratitude, for awe and wonder and so forth, all of these great human assets, a certain portion of that is uh, related to personality type and genetics ultimately. Uh, so there is a kind of set point. Happiness itself has mm. a certain set point. However, uh, environmental, relational, uh, and other kinds of uh, developmental factors play a strong role, in fact, even a stronger role than anything genetic. And ultimately, uh, the third key factor is our own responsibility. Uh, Abraham Lincoln used to say, quote, that a man is about as happy as he makes his mind up to be. Well, it's not quite that simple, but yeah. our practices, how we use affirmations, how we go about every day, what kinds of uh, decisions we make, there is a level of personal responsibility as well. Uh, and certainly when it comes to, to giving, uh, you don't have to go up to a mountaintop in Colorado and uh, and meditate with advanced Tibetan Buddhists, uh, what, you, what you simply need to do is to engage yourself a couple of hours a week in meaningful volunteer activity or helping activity. And the researchers, people feel healthier, they feel happier, they feel less stressed, their uh, friendships are deepened and become more meaningful, and it's a long list of benefits. And so uh, 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 you... you you act in a generous way, and even if at first you're not quite emotionally elated and maybe a mm. little bit doubtful or skeptical, your emotions will typically catch up with you, which is called the James Lang theory of emotions. People say, mm. even if you're not happy, smile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I've heard that uh, if you can muster a genuine smile, that that actually has an effect on uh, your well-being. That the act of smiling itself has some effect. Well, that's the theory, that, that what you do with your body uh, flows back into your emotional state. Fascinating. Now, there there's a number of interesting areas. So this, like our intentional activities are kind of built on this foundation of, uh, you know, our person and our brain, which is influenced by the genetics. And we can kind of look inside and see what's going on with neuroimaging and I see there's even a, a positive neuroscience project that, that you're advising on. And this is just fascinating to look inside, to look under the hood, so to say, inside the brain uh, when it comes to generosity. Uh, wh what are these uh, kind of what let maybe step back a little bit. And bef um, so what comes before one's uh, intentional actions? So digging a little deeper in terms of. What does the circuitry of generosity look like inside of the, the human brain? Oh, it's not very well defined 
yet, but it is clear that when people involve themselves in not just face-to-face benevolence, but uh, indeed even in going into a laboratory and checking a box next to a line item on a menu that they'd like to contribute to, the Alzheimer's Association, local school, whatever it might be, a part of the brain does activate. It's a deeply evolved part of the brain, Mm. and it is called the meso, don't write this down, the mesolimbic pathway, Hmm. the part of the brain that um, is uh, responsible for feelings of elation and joy. It's a part of the brain that doles out at least one, if not more, but at least one of the four happiness chemicals, in this case, dopamine. Mm. Uh, So we know that that's going on. We know that uh, the brain releases a hormone called um, oxytocin, which uh, is attributed with feelings of inner serenity or emotional peace. Uh, So I go back to that old... Norman Rockwell image of the golden rule on the Saturday evening post people just scratching their chins and thinking to themselves how can I contribute to the lives of others and each one of the characters in that portrait has a look of uh, of inner tranquility and serenity so we know that's going on and we also know from what's called the Mother Teresa effect this was work done at Harvard in the early 1990s by David McClelland uh, that when people even view helping activity, they tend to get a little boost in their immune strength. Wow. The, it affects us at the in how we feel and at the physiological level of, of how we are. <laughs> yes, yeah, there's a physiology involved. Again, it's a, it's a fairly nascent science. People in the Shamala project are looking at uh, uh, telomeres, these endpoints on genes, uh, people are looking at epigenetics, how uh, behaviors actually filter back and affect genetic expression. There's a whole lot of information about what people call the, the care and connection physiology that we don't know about. But what we do know, and this is really important, Nick, is that if you're bitter and feeling hostile and angry at the world, uh, one of the best things you can do is go out and help other people, get your mind off the self and the problems of the self. It's very clear that when you engage in that kind of activity, it actually shuts down the neural, the neural circuitry for the destructive emotions, which can be very stressful and in the long run uh, cause lots of illness and premature uh, mortality. Fascinating. So... Uh, in, in looking at getting yourself from that place of, uh, maybe stress, anxiety, worry to taking the actions of generosity, um, this, this sounds like it might be one of these places where having that, a little bit of understanding about, uh, the science of how the brain works and how the human person works, uh, can, can have a positive impact. I mean, that's not the most intuitive thing and to me that uh it, you know if i'm feeling bad and overwhelmed i should go help somebody that's not the first thing that comes to mind <laughs> yeah but when i when i was growing up i was about five or six years old i had an older brother and older sister who yeah. were just old enough so that i didn't have much to do with them yeah. <laughs> and uh 
But I would have a little bit of a down day. My mother, Molly McGee, would always say, well, Stevie, why don't you go out and do something for someone? Hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I did. I'd go across the street and help old Mr. Muller rake the leaves or whatever it might be, and I always found that, that it worked. So there's some wisdom from my mom uh, in, in all of this. But I would, I would also say that, uh, you know, there's, an, there's a kind of a thought world out there that's just, you're right, kind of automatically skeptical of this. So I, I had to give a talk about three years ago. Yeah. to a group of widows and widowers here on Long Island. Hmm. And uh, there had been an article written by my colleagues, and it said that uh, you get over bereavement and grief a little better and in a little more enduring fashion if you can self-report helping activities. So I gave this talk, and it went pretty nicely. At the end, uh, we had Q&A, and there was a guy in the back of the room, and he stood up and he said, I don't care what you say, buddy. I don't do nothing for nothing. Yeah. And, you know, it's this attitude of uh, pay it back, uh, reciprocal gain, what's in it for me. And people think of that without really reflecting on the internal benefits, on the value of just getting in touch with that part of yourself, especially when life is full of challenges and and you may have experienced real hardship. And if, if you'd like to see more about Stephen's work, you can visit his uh, website at stephenpost.com. Actually, stephengpost.com. stephengpost.com. And are there any other places where you'd send people to, to find out more? www.whygoodthingshappen.com. Um, whygoodthingshappen.com. That's the website for our best-selling book, why good things happen to good people. And this, uh, why good things happen to good people is a delightful book full of surprises for many. It may be common sense for others, but this, uh, for me came at a, at a crucial moment in my life when I was on my own path to recovery. And just to, just to be able to read a book at that moment in my life was uh, a profound achievement. So this this really came at a fortuitous moment, and this dynamic of people that are that have some sort of affliction, whether it be self generated or from uh, you know some sort of a addiction, to help other people that are if it's genetic or you know whatever the cause, just that act of helping others with the same thing to be a part of a support group, a, a help others group. Um, seems to have a, a, a profound effect on the life of the person who's attempting to help the next person along. This idea of gener generativity, that drive to help other people grow, whether it be helping people to get out of suffering or just a drive to help people grow with their strengths. This is, this is a fascinating phenomenon and a, a particularly interesting corner of uh, generosity. Tell us, tell us more about generativity. Well, you know, uh, first of all, uh, you know, in terms of addiction, uh, and there are many kinds of addictions, uh, the 12th step in the 12-step program for AA, for NA, for Overeaters Anonymous, for Gamers Anonymous, whatever it might be, is to help other people with your addiction. So that's why when you go to an AA meeting, uh, we have all of our medical students go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. They have open meetings. 
Oh, wow. Someone's at the door as a greeter. Someone's setting out the chair. Someone's making the coffee. Someone's handing out literature. Someone's giving a statement, my name's John, I'm an alcoholic, and telling about their recovery. Everything involves the 12th step, including sponsoring, you know, finding somebody in the neighborhood who would really benefit from uh, uh, joining a 12-step group themselves. Hmm. And what we found out uh, in a study that became very famous is that uh, the high quartile helpers, if you go dry and then you wait one year to see who's recovered and who's relapsed, uh, the high quartile helpers have a 40% recovery rate, so they're still dry. Hmm. The low helpers have a 22% recovery rate. Wow. So you double the likelihood within one year of recovering from alcoholism if you are a high helper, which is pretty impressive and very important. Uh, so generativity uh, uh, is almost like a therapy in a mm. way, and and uh, it's a concept that actually uh, Eric Erickson coined, a developmental psychologist, thinking about older adults. Well, we know now, you go to an assisted living center there in mm. Nebraska or Omaha, there are whole rooms devoted to volunteerism where old folks are printing up shirts for the local walkathon, you know. Mm. Uh, and we've discovered that uh, for older adults, say, uh, ages 60 to 80, if they're involved even a couple of hours a week in these helping activities, uh, they are much less depressed, and they tend on average during that period to be living about two years longer than the ones who think, well, I'm going to retire, go down to Sun City, get up at noon and have my first martini. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's profound. I've uh, now that you say that, I've I've uh, realized that I've been on uh, part of a project where that was the case, where uh, some of the senior living facilities helped out in uh, community wide compassion and kindness projects. So beautiful. Oh, that's nice to know a little bit of the context on. Where oh that's yeah, they find from. it so meaningful. But even with the young kids, Nick. So one of the big studies that we've investigated and continued with goes way back to Berkeley in the mid-1920s where they took a lot of preteens, that's 12-year-olds, 300 exactly, and they asked mm. them, what rocks your boat? What motivates you? And about mm. a third of them said, well, helping others, doing something with my gifts to make a difference in the world. Sounds mm. pretty good, loving my neighbor. And they followed these kids every 10 years across their lifetimes, gave them psychological tests, looked at their medical records, did all kinds of things that were worthwhile and informative. turns out that the hundred or so of those 300 who were the helpers, they were um, lower in heart disease, lower in depression. And now that they're well into their 90s, two-thirds of the 70 or so who are still alive come from the one-third who, as 12-year-olds, said, I want to help people. doesn't mean this is perfect. You know, I mean, you can be a really helpful person and get in a car accident or get a sudden diagnosis at age 20. Yeah. But my point is that as a gross generalization, yeah. it's good to be good. Beautiful. Now, uh, th maybe this, th maybe there's research on this out there. Maybe it's already a movement and I've, I've missed the boat or haven't gotten on the boat yet, but I have a uh, kind of a, this vision of some sort of merger of like an AA type entity where not, but not so much on, um, healing, just people realizing that we have, we have a gift to give. And if we share our gift 
the world can become a better place. Uh, some of those dynamics of uh, like helping others, but also having that like peer support time where you come together with other people who are who are sort of committed and passionate about intentionally trying to be helpful to others. So I'm, I'm envisioning like building a peer support group around this idea of generosity and generativity to add sort of a, a community of friends of like-minded. I've, I've heard of random acts of kindness clubs. I've heard of happiness clubs where people get together around this positive psychology research. Does that sound like something that, that could be a, a, a feasible addition to the mix or is it, are there examples of that out there that really jump out to you? Oh, it's a great idea. And, you know, the literature is real clear that um, the benefits of giving are increased when you have a community that you can uh, share your experiences with and uh, that you can connect with. So in this study we did with United Health, where we looked at volunteerism in America in 2009, uh, and we found that 41% of Americans volunteered about 100 hours a year on average or mm. a couple of hours a week. Um, that's sort of the threshold. Uh, two hours a week seems to be very beneficial. It's kind of like a vitamin pill for the soul. Mm. But, uh, uh, you know, clearly people say that um, it deepens their relationships. So that your friends aren't just the people you party with, but your friends become like-minded folks who kind of share your desire to contribute meaningfully to the world around you. And it's really important in volunteering, there's sort of three rules if you manage volunteers. We have about a thousand of them at our hospital. Number one, give people the freedom of choice to select an area that excites them. So there's, you know, 50 departments in this medical center. Hmm. Uh, You know, pick one that, 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 that captures your imagination. If you're a teenager, who knows? It could be pediatrics. It could be uh, neurology. But pick something that that interests you. Mm. Um, use your strengths when you volunteer. Don't volunteer from from weakness because then you'll feel you're just spinning your wheels. Yeah. So use your gifts. Use your talents. And uh, and the third thing is you know come together and meet as a group so that you can acknowledge and affirm what you're what you're up to. And when businesses do this, there's a big mall in Vancouver where the, the owner of the mall challenged all the people who rented stores to allow all their uh, workers two hours a week to just go out and do the most helpful thing they could think of in the community. Hmm. And they did this, and they didn't get docked on their paychecks. That was part of the deal. So after six weeks, uh, there was a measurement, and the happiness scores were up for all the employees in this huge mall. Uh, and also, um, uh, as they followed it another six weeks, business was up 15%, and there was less uh, turnover among employees. And so from even a bottom-line perspective, uh, it's good to be good. Beautiful. That is that is a, a great phrase, and there's research that backs that up. Uh, coming up next on KZUM is Democracy Now! You've been... Uh, joining in with uh, Nick Hernandez, I'm your host of Community Matters, talking with Stephen Post this week. Check out his website at Stephen G. Post, and you will find fascinating resources on generosity. Uh, is there, it's good to be good, that's a, that's a great phrase. Is, are there any other things, any uh, parting wis- words of wisdom or profound uh, center points that you'd like to share here? Well, you know, in the final analysis, when you look back on your life, 
Uh, it's all about what you give, not so much about what you take. And I, I, I have a real basic definition of love, and I don't mean love uh, other than kindness and generosity. Hmm. Uh, you know, when the happiness and the well-being and the security of others becomes as real to you as your own, you love those people. And, and when you live in that kind of love and giving and generosity, uh, you will flourish. It's a law of nature. It's a law of life. It's a spiritual principle. And science now says it's so. You used to be able to say, well, it's just soft stuff. But now it's pretty clear from a lot of good science over the last 10 years. Uh, and so uh, uh, if you want to if you want to be happy and healthier and live a little longer life, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Beautiful. 